Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Bethel, it is so good to be with you today. I have looked forward to this moment. I love this church. I've been trying to sneak over for a long time, been in the city four years, been trying, but, but my Sunday morning responsibilities keep me over at Crosspoint. But today, I get to be with you. Love this church. You are a leading church in our city, a great church that gives a picture as you contend for unity in the city, for the unity that is found only in Christ Jesus. And so you're leading the way for the Big C Church in the city. And then Paul says, you got a lot of guides, but you don't have many spiritual fathers. The pastor of this church, Pastor James Lowe, is a spiritual father in this city. And God has anointed him, and he's placed him in leadership. And, uh, and so close friend of mine. And he said that I was going to sing at the beginning of this message. Nope, I'm not. We're going to jump into the text. We're going to look. At the book, we are, um, we're going to be looking at the conversation of the table. We're going to talk about what happens at the table. And you know, when you read through the Gospels, you would think that you'd find Jesus a lot in the synagogue and you'd find him in the temple. Maybe you'd find him behind a podium or behind a platform. But what you see is that Jesus spends a lot of time behind a table. Jesus spends a lot of time at the table. There was one theologian that said, you can pretty much sum up the Gospel of Luke in seven words, that Jesus eats good food with bad people. That's the gospel in seven Jesus. So Jesus, when you look at his life, Jesus, Jesus has a thing. He has a relationship with food, but there was something that Jesus loved more than food. It was the person on the other side of the table. Like Jesus loved people. Jesus loved food. And Jesus loved, when you look at his ministry, oftentimes doing the will of the Father means eating with other people. So Jesus had this relationship with food. So if you love food, you're in good company with the Son of God. And so what we find, though, is interesting. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, rather than being with food and with people, he withdraws and he spends 40 days in the wilderness. He withdraws from the table and he withdraws from people to spend time fasting and praying. It's in fast 40 days of fasting and praying. What does he do that for? Well, he does that to set his heart, to set his focus on the thing he's called to do, to seek and save that which is to rescue and redeem people. Jesus said, this is why I've come, to do the will of the Father. So for 40 days, he set his heart on that mission. And then after 40 days of fasting and prayer, the first temptation was to what? It was to turn these stones into bread. The first temptation was to eat. Why? Because he's hungry. Satan doesn't tempt you where you don't have desire. But the temptation of the evil one is to use legitimate power in illegitimate ways. To use, to use legitimate, thing, legitimate needs to have them met in illegitimate ways. And the temptation was use your supernatural power, use your power to meet your own needs. And Jesus said... The scripture says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so Jesus said, what you don't understand, enemy, is that I have food that you know not of. The word of the Lord is food for me. It's food for me. Now, Jesus said man does not live by bread alone. He didn't say man does not live by bread. So you can take your little carb-free diet and you can just take it and run with it. My wife and I, we ate paleo for a year. I was in a bad mood for an entire year because bread is good. 
Jesus is saying, eat your bread. That's the reason at Prince's that they put the chicken on the bread because it's divine. It's, it's a gift from God. Enjoy it. No guilt, shame, just eat the bread. And so Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There was another time where the disciples, remember Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman at a well, which was a situation that would have been could have been considered compromising, talking with this woman at the well, but Jesus is having, he's the Messiah, he's the son of God, having a conversation about the gospel and he's talking with this woman. The disciples come up and they, they're like, they, I think they're trying to rescue him because they say, hey, Jesus, do you want something to eat? They're like, I think they're just trying to help him get away from that situation. And Jesus said, I got food you know not of. So what Jesus is saying is that doing the Father's will is food for me. The Father's word is food for me. Doing the Father's will is food for me. And so what Jesus teaches us when we look at the scripture is that, that his food is greater. Because think about, like, we all love food, but it's not going to meet the deepest places of our heart. The deepest place in my heart can be only be met by him, by him. And so Jesus teaches us through the way that he eats. When we look at the book of Luke, we're going to see he spends time at the table. In fact, you think about it, his first miracle, where was it at? At the wedding at Cana. It was at the table. His last meal was with the disciples. Where was that at? In the upper room at the table. When Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph, they put him in a manger, which is in a stable. It's where animals eat. It's like a table in a stable. I've been looking forward to that Dr. Seuss moment all week. And just give her. It's at the table. After Jesus is raised from the dead, he finds the disciples on a beach in Galilee, and he says to them, he says, y'all got anything to eat? See, Jesus, we see food is at the, at the center. And the Son of Man came how? Eating and drinking. That's how Jesus came, but it's not why he came. His ministry strategy was getting across the table from people. And so we're learning from him in this series, Jesus, how can we eat like you? How can we eat in the way that you eat? How can we use tables to become windows into heaven? Because that's what we see in the gospel is that the tables become a window into heaven. And I think we've gotten away from it. I think the reason this series matters so much is we've gotten away from it in our culture. We've gotten away from using tables as ministry and we've kind of shrunk it down to just functional activity just to feed ourselves. In fact, if you look back in the 60s, do you know how long the average mealtime was? The average mealtime in the 60s was 90 minutes. 90 minutes. You know how long our mealtimes are? 12 minutes. 12 minutes. And I think one of the reasons that things have happened in that way was an invention back in the late 1980s. Um, it was the cup holder. In the late 1980s, the cup the Honda was first put cup holders in their cars and, and cup holders were put in cars. And now we can eat the way that God intended all along in our automobiles. And so there, now we have come. And so you think about it, it's, it's completely changed the game. And so I, I was looking at the, the 2021 Toyota Tacoma has 13 cup holders. What do you got? There's five seat belts. That's 2.6 cup holders for every person. What are you going to do with that much liquid? Have to stop. That's what you're going to do. And so it's changed the game. And so now we eat. We do everything on the road. We, we eat on the road. We eat on the go. We're constantly, we have food. It's constantly on the go. Like we, like you just think about it, even with the way that the apps have changed. Like we got, we got Uber Eats. It's changed things. We got Grubhub. Like you think about it, with Uber Eats, you can get food wherever you are, whatever you want in 30, 45 minutes. 
With Grubhub, you can get food like in three, four hours. You can get it like, but, and, and I'm not hating on Grubhub. Well, actually I am a little bit, but, 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 but listen, I mean, just think of, I mean, and I'm not, and I'm not hating on all like food ordering. I mean, I think the Chipotle app is divinely inspired. I mean, so I think these things are good, but I want us to ask the question is, has this hyper self-focused, convenience oriented, rapid paced way that we're doing meals, has it changed? Has it changed our lives? And has it taken something from the way that God would want us to experience the kingdom at our tables? And is it time for us to reclaim and recapture what it means to eat in the kingdom of God? What it means to bring up there, down here. In Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter, chapter 25, verse 6, it says that one day God will prepare a feast of rich food for all people. That's all people, all nations, all people coming together around a table. And so what he's saying is if you look through the little knot hole in the fence and you look into eternity, what you're going to find, it's all people coming together in a celebration, in a feast, that that's the kingdom. And so the question is, how do we bring up there, down here with our tables here and now? How, do the way, how does the way that we step up to the table reflect the glory of God and the kingdom of God? How can we eat like Jesus? My friend Jason said, Kevin, you know that Jesus, that he sat at more tables than he flipped. And I just wonder, are Christians more known in our culture by the tables that they're flipping or by the tables that they're sitting at? And what does it look like for us once again? Bring the spirit of God and the presence of God and the peace of God and the love of God to the table. We're going to look at two meals that Jesus had. We're going to look in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 7. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there with me. Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 7. We're going to do a little progressive meal. We'll start at this meal, at this meal in Luke 5 and then we'll flip over to, to Luke 7. So let's start at Luke 5, 27. It says, and after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and he left everything and followed him. See, Jesus sees this tax collector and this is a really big deal that he's a tax collector. In fact, if you remember last week, Pastor James talked about as tax collectors in that culture that they were, that they were considered too far for repentance. It was said by the religious community that if you were a tax collector, you were out of luck when it came to God because there was no way that you could be redeemed. And so Jesus sees this tax collector and he, he invites him. He says, come be my disciple. Come follow me. Be in my inner circle and the other disciples. I mean, just think about it. In that culture, tax collectors were hated. And so just think about a hated group in our culture and think about that somebody that Jesus said, I want you to come be in my inner circle. If you were one of the already established disciples, you're like, Jesus, you might want to rethink that. And Jesus said, no, come follow me. So Levi says, okay, I'll follow you. And he leaves everything. Why? Because Jesus asked him to be in his inner circle. So he leaves everything and he's following Jesus. And he says, well, where are we going to go? And Jesus said, we're going to a party. Levi's like, I love parties. He's like, well, where's the party? And Jesus said, at your house. In fact, I want you to invite all your friends, which is like saying to a mafia crime boss, I want you to get all your buddies and we're going to have a party. And so they pull together and they get together at this party and look at verse, look at verse 29. It says, and then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? See, the religious crowd were offended because in that day, who you ate with really, really mattered. 
It was, it was um, table fellowship was, it, it's hard to overemphasize how important it was. There was a sense of, of connection. There was a sense of unity. There was a sense of blessing. Who you ate with really mattered. And so they were, they were offended that Jesus, Jesus invited, Jesus was sitting with the leader. And so they, 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 because moral people didn't eat with immoral people in that day. But here the holiest person who ever walked the planet said, come sit at the table with me. And so Jesus, Pharisees, they see what's going on. And so they subtweet pull the disciples aside. They don't at Jesus, but they pull the disciples aside and they're like, hey, why are you following a rabbi like that who eats with people like that? And Jesus sees the sub, Jesus jumps in the thread. He jumps in the thread, he does. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. And the problem is you don't know that you're not righteous. Because Romans three tells us that there are none righteous. And the danger of self-righteousness is you don't know you're sick, which is maybe the worst kind of sickness. And Jesus said, I can only help you as you're aware of your need for me. And you need me too, you just can't see it. He said, but I came for those who know their need for me. And I came to bring healing to their hearts. See, um, how many of you know you've got maybe at people who are addicted in your life and you know it's not until the moment where, where they, they're aware of their addiction that you can, you can really help them? And the Pharisees, they were addicted too. They were just addicted to being right. They were addicted to their self-righteousness. They were addicted to their power. They were addicted to their control. They were addicted to their image management. And Jesus said, I've come to help you too. And so here we find Jesus telling us about his heart for the table and the table, the hospitality, hospitality, the, the word hospitality and the word hospital have the same root. How many of us know that good hospitality is like a hospital for the soul? When you step up to the table and somebody serves and they put on the spirit, you know, just in that moment, you know, I'm seen, I'm loved, I'm valued. Scripture tells us that God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemy. That God, God puts a table before us. God's heart is hospitality. And when we do that for others, it brings up there, down here. Luke chapter 7, flip over with me to Luke chapter 7. We'll, keep, we'll see what we can learn about hospitality from Jesus through this story, and this is an incredible story. Um, it's Jesus eating at Simon the Pharisee's house, and I'm, I'm just gonna kinda tell you the story, and you go back and you can, you can read it later. It, it picks up in verse 36, and you can read it later for yourself. Make sure that what I'm telling you is true. Always go back, like the Bereans, examine the scripture, make sure that what we're saying is true. In verse 36, says he went to Simon the Pharisee's house and Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to the house. And the Pharisees, remember in that day, they, they, were, they were good moral people. They were, they were religious people. And out of their zeal, they loved God and they wanted to obey. They were the Sunday school teachers in that day. Like they were, and they were very zealous people. But, but Simon the Pharisee, he didn't see his need for Jesus. In fact, he invited Jesus over to the house. When Jesus showed up at the house, he didn't give him the normal hospitality customs of that day where normally they would greet them at the, at the door and greet them with a kiss. And then they would offer him oil and water for their hands and for their face. And then they would have someone wash their feet. But Simon, he left out all the normal customs. You know why? Because he wasn't there to build a relationship with Jesus. He was there to build a case against him. He wasn't there to honor Jesus. He was there to evaluate Jesus. 
And so because of what, how he looked at Jesus, think about this, the God who he'd been worshiping all of his life was right there in front of him and he missed it. It should, it should awaken in us to realize that God can be moving right in front of us and we miss it. That out of maybe self-righteousness or maybe not even seeing our own need for God and our own sin and our own desperation for the cross and for the work of Christ, that God can be moving and we don't have eyes to see it. Lord, open up our eyes to how you're moving in front of us. Open up our eyes to our, to our need for you. God, that you are moving in the earth. The sovereign redeemer is moving in your life right now. The question is, do you have eyes to see it? And Jesus was at the table and Simon, and you know what I love about Jesus? I love a lot of things about Jesus, but one of the things I love so much about Jesus is he's not offended. There is such a spirit of offense in our world right now. And Jesus is the only holy one at the table. and He's not offended. He doesn't say, Simon, are you kidding me? I am the, I am. And flip the table. He just sits there cool as Christmas because he's Jesus. Just cool as Christmas. And you know what? He's not humiliated. Because you can't humiliate a truly humble man. An old retired chicken farmer told me one, that, that one time. And I cannot forget it. He said, Kevin, you can never humiliate a truly humble man. He said, so when you, whenever you feel humiliated, remind yourself God's got work to do. And Jesus, not offended, not humiliated. He just sits there and watches. And there's somebody else watching. There was a woman standing off in the distance and she saw what was happening. She saw the, the grievous sin that Jesus was not tended to in hospitality. The Messiah, the son of God, a great rabbi and teacher. And she saw that Simon neglected to do those things. And she stood back and she watched and she thought this should not be. Because she had heard Jesus teach and she had heard the words of truth and she had seen the way he had grace for people. And she knew she needed that because Simon says that she was a sinner. In other words, that's a nice way of saying that she was a prostitute. And as she stood back, she thought about when she saw Jesus teach in town and, and he didn't look at her the way that other people looked at her. The way that other men looked at her and a way to use her when he looked at her, such value and significance and worth. When he spoke, she heard words of grace and truth. And she stood back in the room and she would know that if she entered that room, that everybody would know that she wasn't invited because who invites a prostitute when you want to look religious? And she knew she would offend everybody else except for the one true holy person in the room. And her heart beating through her chest. And she had everything to risk. She had nothing to lose. And she took that first step. And everybody looked and she walked over and she stood behind Jesus. She just began to weep. And maybe it was tears of thinking about all the things that she had done or all the things that had been done to her. Maybe it was the tears of thinking about where she used to be as a little girl and how she'd end up, ended up where she was. And she just began to weep. Maybe it was tears of just thinking about how much Jesus had already accepted her with his gaze and with his words. But she fell behind his feet and she began to weep on his feet that had not been washed. And with her hair and with her perfume, she began to worship him. The tools of her trade became the tools of her worship. 
the resources that she had became his resources. She was in the presence of greatness. She was in the presence of a king. She said, how can I not worship? You've loved me. You've forgiven me. How can I not worship you? And Simon sees what's going on and he is offended because he did not invite her to the party. She was not on the guest list. But Jesus is not offended. He's just letting her worship him. And Simon thinks, well, if he's really the Messiah, then he would know. He'd know what kind of woman this is at his feet. And now let's look at the text. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. See, Simon's trying to have a to himself kind of thought. And Jesus reads his mind. You can never have a to yourself kind of thought with Jesus. It's okay because he loves you. He loved Simon too, but he had to call him out. He said, tell me, teacher. He said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? One owes a lot, one owes little. Both have been forgiven. Who loves more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven loves little. And then Jesus says to this woman, Says, your sins have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. It's such a beautiful story. The grace, the forgiveness, the acceptance, the redemption, the love of Jesus. It's a beautiful story. It's a crazy story in that the host in the story is not really a host. And the real host in the story was not really a guest. But she was at the feet of Jesus. And so what we learn from this story is that we can all demonstrate hospitality. You don't have to be Chip and Joanna Gaines. You don't even have to have a house. We can all demonstrate hospitality. And at the same time, we have to recognize that we can all kind of be like Simon. In Luke chapter 18, verse 9, it tells us the real sin of the Pharisees. It says they were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. And looking down on other people is not just a Pharisee issue in the Bible. It's also an issue in our day. There are Republican Pharisees and Democrat Pharisees. There are conservative Pharisees and liberal Pharisees. There are all kinds of ways to be a Pharisee. And so we ask God, God, would you reveal, is there anywhere that I'm confident in my own righteousness? Is there anywhere where I need to humble myself? Is there anywhere where I'm looking down my nose at other people? Because the beautiful thing about a table is there's one level. And the beautiful thing about the cross is there's one level. And so we pull up to the table and the love of Jesus. We say, Jesus, would you teach us? Because we don't want to be Pharisees. And here's the dangerous thing about being a Pharisee is that we all drift that way. We will all, if, we will all drift. To, and God, being, a, being a Pharisee is like going to Denny's. Nobody ends up at Denny's on purpose. Like, Denny's is default for, for bad planning, right? You know, everywhere else you go to, you go to Denny's. And, and being a Pharisee, becoming a Pharisee, you don't set out to become one. You just drift in that direction. 
And so we want to correct our drift and say, Jesus, teach us how to have hearts of hospitality, that we would make room for you and make room for others. So let me give you three, three ways that we, we basically we do the things that Simon didn't do. The first one is remember Jesus loves sinners and you're a sinner too. Remember, Jesus loves sinners and you're a sinner too. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. Look back at him and say, I'm a sinner too. The problem is you enjoyed the first one more than the second one. That's a, you enjoy telling somebody. But the reality is that we are all sinners. At every table you sit at, if you're in Christ, there's a sinner there and a saint there. Because you're there. But you are a saint who occasionally sins, not a sinner who's an occasionally, occasional saint. Your sainthood is who you are in Christ. That's your position. That cannot be changed. But we do occasionally sin. And the challenge is that if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, a lot of our sins move from the outside to the inside. To things like greed and pride and judgmentalism. Things that are less sophisticated, maybe more sophisticated than the outer sins. And Jesus came to address those things too. He said, I've come for the heart. What I want most is the heart. And so if I went through that list and you were thinking, man, so-and-so needs to hear that message, you're missing the point. The point is that we're all sinners in need of grace. But the good news is Jesus loves sinners. And he says, I want to eat with you. So the first is, remember, Jesus loves sinners and you're a sinner too. The second is, ask Jesus to help you see people as he sees people. You can't make room for people if you don't see people. Remember the first Jesus saw Levi. Other people looked around him. Jesus saw him. Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? Simon didn't see her. There was a movie that came out back in the late 90s called The Sixth Sense. Do you remember that movie? And at the end of that movie, there's a little boy who says, I see dead people. Some of you were offended that I spoiled the movie. Listen, it came out in 1999. When were you going to see it? You had your chance. But at the end of the movie, this boy says, I see dead people. And you know what I think The Sixth Sense is in our day is to actually see people. To see them, not see around them but to truly see him. The way God sees people is he uses his people to see people and say, I see you, I hear you, I'm listening to you. But I think sometimes we don't want to see problem people because problem people reveal what's going on in our own hearts. And we would rather ignore problem people than deal with what's going on in our own hearts. And we gotta embrace the reality that each one of us is somebody's problem person. We're all problem people. And God, how does he accept us? He says, accept one another as Christ Jesus accepts you. How does he accept us? Come to me right as you are. He welcomes us to the table. And so we ask Jesus, the only way we can see people as he sees people is with the new heart. He says, I've given you a new heart so that you would see people as I see people. Hmm. And then number three, take what you have and use it for others. Take what you have. This woman had her tears. She had her perfume. She had her hair. And she served Jesus. What do you have? Do you have a car? Do you have a house? Do you have an apartment? What do you have? And how can you use it to serve others? Do you have a, a space across the table at the Waffle House? I love the Waffle House. God does some of his best business at the Waffle House. 
What do you have? An invitation to a meal? Friendship? Relation? How can we use the tables and the resources in our lives to make space for someone? What hospitality is, it's making room for people that we don't have to. Because God made room for us. There's an old hymn we used to sing growing up. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. And when we demonstrate hospitality, we're saying there's room at the cross for you. Is there room at our tables? While I'm spoiling movies, let me spoil one more movie. Titanic. I don't like the end. I don't. Because Jack drowns. And Rose was on the raft or on a door or whatever she was floating on, but there was room for Jack. Like, Rose, if you just move over on that raft, Jack can get right there. Changes the movie, I mean, but yeah. And I wonder... If you just move over and just make room, because there are people who are drowning right now, and there are people who are frozen in their loneliness and their bitterness and their hurt and their pain, and we've been entrusted with the good news, and the way that they hear the good news is first through the good news of an invitation. Say, I got room for you. At my table in the lunchroom, I got room for you. At my table in my house, I got room for you. Across the table at a restaurant, there's room for you. Does the way that we use our tables bring up there, down here? And so I'd love to pray for us in that, that God would give us his eyes to see. Can we pray together? Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the way that you are moving. And we want you to continue to bring up there, down here. God, after a year where things became so isolated and in a culture where everything moves so fast, would you teach us how to slow down to the pace of heaven, to the pace of relationships? that our tables don't just belong to our families, they belong to your family and to the sons and daughters that you have that don't yet know you, that haven't made their way back home. So God, I pray for each person. Listen to this message. Lord, I pray that you would reveal their great need for you and they would find your love to fill their heart. And then I pray that you would give them eyes to see people as you see them. Break their hearts, break our hearts for what breaks yours. And then we would look at what we have and say, Jesus, it all belongs to you. Help us use what we have in a way that brings heaven to earth, the kingdom of God, your power presence, your rule and reign. Up there, there, down here, through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.